It's 834, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We discussed this story on Monday from a certain perspective. Last week, the Greendale police were conducting a click-it-or-ticket operation. Um, I'm a big believer that you should wear seatbelts. The law says you should wear seatbelts. And what they do from time to time, local police departments will emphasize that. They pulled over during the course of their efforts pulled over, I believe, 34 or 35 cars for various traffic violations. And in many or most cases, they also found that the people weren't wearing seatbelts, which brings us to the story of a woman whose name is Catherine Torres, who's a medical assistant in Greendale, who was on her lunch break last Wednesday, a week ago today. She does not have a front license plate on her car. As we have talked about before, that is it's against the law to drive without a front license plate in Wisconsin. Many of you have been stopped for that. There's a $140 fine for that. She gets stopped as part of this kind of click it or ticket thing. Um, she's not, she's legally stopped. She doesn't have a license plate on her car. No question, it is a legitimate stop. She's also not wearing her seatbelt, so she gets the $10 ticket. All right, fine. That, that would normally be enough of this, except Catherine Torres decides to run to Vochas de la Frontera. Vochas de la Frontera is the sort of illegal alien immigrant rights group that has become, in my opinion, increasingly more radicalized over the last several years. And she goes to them and she says, oh, they, they asked me, they asked me if I was a U.S. citizen. Can you, can you believe that? They asked me if I was a U.S. citizen. They asked me for my Social Security number. They asked all this information. And then Voces de la Frontera stages this press conference, which gets a ton of attention, criticizing the, the Greendale police, using this um, to show a spotlight on a state bill which would um, allow local governments to essentially inquire about the immigration status of people they stop. Now, when we talked about this Monday, I said I I had some questions and concerns about the legitimacy of these claims, but it didn't matter to me. I think, in all honesty, if I, candidly, I don't have a problem. If police stop somebody legally and you want to inquire about their immigration status, I don't have a problem with that. seems to me that that's part of the overall law enforcement function. And if you stop somebody who happens to be in this country illegally, I don't have a problem with, for example, the Greendale police or the Milwaukee police or the Milwaukee County sheriffs, whoever, notifying customs that, hey, we've come into contact with somebody who's illegally in this country. What part of illegal don't you understand? And that is the perspective that we discussed this on the radio on Monday. Well, okay, there's, there's new information in connection with this. The Greendale police have released the video of the encounter that the officer had with this woman. The video shows clearly that the officer never even asked her whether or not she was a U.S. citizen. The premise of the overriding complaint is a lie. And it's, it's on the video, or in this case, it's not on the video. The officer did ask her for her Social Security number. Greendale has a policy, as do many police departments in this state, that when they make these stops, they will, and they're issuing a citation, they will routinely ask for people's Social Security numbers, not for 
immigration purposes, but because it's part of this program that allows them to collect fines, for example, if somebody skips out on, on their ticket. So they, they, they did ask her for her Social Security number. They ask everybody for their Social Security number. So the basic premise of this press conference is false. The woman was never, ever, ever asked whether she was a U.S. citizen. Like I say, if she had been, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. But the premise is false. All right. Votes de la Frontera issues a statement in the face of this overwhelming evidence that demonstrates that the media was guppied by their phony claims. I'll share that statement with you in just a second. But first, Channel 4 had a report. Here's the Channel 4 report because they gave... They gave this claim a lot of prominence. Here's the Channel 4 report from yesterday. The Channel 4 reporters had the opportunity, by the way, to view the entire video of this situation. Here's the report. Greenville police released dash cam video of a Memorial Day traffic stop in question after Catherine Torres claimed she was racially profiled. The first thing he asked me uh, was, are you... uh U.S. citizen. On Friday, Torres, along with Vosas de la Frontera, held a news conference outside of Greendale Police. I thought that the first question that they were supposed to ask is for your um, license and for your insurance card. They stormed in to file a complaint for harassment. Four days later, this video shows a contradictory sequence of events. Greendale police say Torres was pulled over for not having a front license plate. Video and audio from the stop shows the police sergeant then asking for her license, insurance address, followed by... The Greendale police chief says asking for a social security number during a traffic stop has been their policy since 2003. It allows municipal courts to collect on tickets that haven't been paid. Today, Torres met with Greendale police where she pulled her complaint. The chief says she admitted the officer never questioned her citizenship or immigration status as alleged. We tried to get her side after the meeting. She will not. Absolutely not. She left through the back door to avoid us. The director of Vosas de la Frontera was with her. They're saying she was never asked if she was a U.S. citizen. I mean, I haven't spoken to Catherine, so we only have one side of the story. Obviously, she filed a complaint. And the police chief here tells me he does not plan on filing criminal charges for Torres' false complaint live in Greendale. Ben Jordan, today's TMJ4. In other words, the, the essence of the story is completely made up. It's just completely made up. Yes, they ask for Social Security numbers. That's called this tax return intercept. They do this as a matter of routine for everybody. All right, so the video evidence shows that the underlying heart of the claim that, gee, they asked me if I was in, if they asked me about my citizenship, it is false. The woman who made the claim, who attended the news conference, has now retracted that. When we come back, I'm going to share with you the story and the statement issued by Vosas de la Frontera, and we will discuss. Stick around. It's 842. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so there's a press conference Friday accusing the Greendale police of racial profile, essentially ethnic profiling, racial profiling. They asked about immigration status. Oh, this was terrible during this stop. Well, okay, it's all bogus. 
it did, the, the key question did not happen. They pull over some woman for having a with not having a license plate. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt. This was part of their click it and ticket campaign. They asked her the same questions they ask anybody and sent her on her way. The press conference and the claims that were made on Friday are demonstrably false. There is a dash cam video of the incident. All right. There is this philosophy that says, when you're wrong, be strong. So in the face of this evidence, what is the statement issued by Vosas de la Vatera? I have it in my hand. Threats and a suspicious video. Greendale police silence citizen complaint. I swear I'm not making this up. On Tuesday, June 6th, the Greendale Police Department posted a statement to their Facebook page saying Catherine Torres had withdrawn the complaint she filed last Friday. The statement also claimed the dash cam video shows that the patrol officer involved did not ask her if she was a U.S. citizen. She is. The statement said the department routinely records the social security number of motorists they stop. The video's audio is full of background noise, although the beginning of the encounter at about 1 on the Facebook page is surprisingly clear. At 2.10, the officer is heard asking Ms. Torres for her Social Security number. The audio then cuts out, and in the top and center of the frame, the timestamp mysteriously hiccups and speeds up. Apart from this, much of the conversation between the officer and the lady can, can't be understood at all because of the static. Let, let me say, it's windy. it was windy last week, and what happens is there's time that he's apparently turning away and turning back, and you can hear stuff better at other sometimes because there's wind in the microphone. Anyways, there is also a moment where many minutes appear to have been cut from the video, perhaps while the officer was in his car. Actually, they know that to be true. What was issued to the public was a redacted version, didn't show while they had six minutes while the officer was sitting in his car, although members of the media have, in fact, seen that. It's not an encounter with her. It's the officer sitting in his car, probably running the license plates and things like that. And anyhow, this is what this, this group says. The video in no way disproves Ms. Torres's allegations that the police asked if she was a U.S. citizen, and it proves they asked her for a Social Security number. On Thursday, I accompanied Ms. Torres to a meeting with Greendale Chief of Police Robert Malasek, said Christine Newman-Ortiz, Executive Director of Vosas de la Frontera. Chief Malasek refused to allow me to accompany her into the meeting. And in front of me, told her that if she did not withdraw the complaint, he would file criminal charges against her. He intimidated her. It is ridiculous that the Greendale Police Department collect people's Social Security numbers for minor traffic infractions. Local law enforcement shouldn't be investigating immigration status, and they definitely shouldn't be intimidating community members who are using proper channels to stand up for their rights. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, in my opinion is absurd in the extreme. You have a woman who makes what is a de- appears to be a demonstrably false claim. She is used by this group that is trying to advance a particular political agenda. They attack the Greendale Police Department, accusing it of stuff that they did not do. Now, again, as I've said before, even if they did it, I wouldn't have a problem with asking if somebody is a law is is legally in this country, but th- they didn't do it. They didn't do it, and in the face of evidence that pretty clearly demonstrates that they didn't do it, the response is Greendale Police silent citizen complaint. 
Um, you know, the, the police chief allegedly said, hey, if you don't withdraw this complaint, I'm going after you for filing a, a false, you know, uh, statement with the authorities. He intimidated her. It is ridiculous that the Greendale police collect people's social security numbers for minor traffic infractions. 414-799-1620. This is appalling. It is an effort, and and I tell you, the media is somewhat complicit in this. I give credit to the stations that are now covering it, recognizing that they were taken to the cleaners by this group for pushing a false narrative. I think an apology is owed to the Greendale Police Department, and it is shameful that this immigrant rights group, instead of recognizing that in this particular situation they were wrong, they were perpetuating a false theory, has the audacity, the audacity to continue to criticize the Greendale Police Department. Vosas de la Frontera should be ashamed of themselves. Let's start with Pat in St. Francis. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, The police driving down Lake Drive in Carney. Um, going 32 in a 25 mile an hour zone, and they also asked for my social security number. Yeah, they, they, again, it, it's called, I mean, my understanding is that it, it's called a, a tax intercept program, and what they do is they, they do it, um, they do it so again tax return intercept so they can do it if you skip out on your on your you know citation it's a way they have of collecting uh, they do it in greendale my understanding is local police departments all over the state do it and i'll tell you i felt violated by that as well because you know that goes in a little black book but in my opinion where does that little black book mm-hmm. go when it's filled up yeah. Well, and again, and see, and I guess you can you can argue, Pat, about whether or not they, they should be doing that and, and whether or not that is a legitimate thing to ask for. But that's not the issue here. I mean, they, they do it routinely. I mean, this thanks. I mean, this this was tried. This was used. This incident was used in an effort to try to make it look like the Greendale police are, you know, targeting people who are in this country illegally, and here they got this woman who's here illegally. That's not what happened here. The whole narrative is a lie. The entire narrative is a lie, and this immigrant rights group, and I use that in quotation marks, is trying to perpetuate the lie, and after the lie has been exposed, they still do not have the class to acknowledge, okay, we were wrong in this particular situation, and that's what's so aggravating. Prince in Milwaukee. Prince, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, and keep, please keep up the great work you're doing. Thanks. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm also an African-American male who's a retired city of Milwaukee police officer. Mm-hmm. I've worked on squad cars. i worked all over the place. My personal opinion of this lady who's make it, who made the big stink, the officer should sue her for defamation of character, and that organization who called the news conference, mm-hmm. I think he should also sue them. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion of this. Well, they do name the officer. I mean, there's no, I don't think I read the officer's name, but I mean, the, the statement that they have, you know, name, name the officer, you know, um, in, involved in this situation. And again, there, see, look, I understand how, may, look, maybe this, maybe this lady, Okay, you know, in in the heat of things, she's frustrated, she's unhappy that she got stopped. Okay, maybe she thought she heard something that she didn't, but the video clearly shows this did not occur. She has now retracted the complaint.
complaint. And instead of having the class and the integrity to say we were wrong, this group decides they're going to continue to blast ahead and say the woman was intimidated. No, the woman was wrong in the first place. The claim was bogus. You're 100% correct. She point-blank lied. Unfortunately, this is a subject that people don't like to talk about much, but most people that we deal with lie, well, even the victim. Well, well right. Or thanks. And look, and, and uh, look, I, I I will give the woman I will give the woman who stopped the benefit of the doubt. Let's let us assume she was flustered. She was upset. She didn't process stuff correct. She thought maybe the officer asked her something that he did not ask her. All right, I, I will give her initially the benefit of the doubt. But now there that there is a dash cam video of the incident. Now that she has apparently seen the dash cam incident video of the incident, she recognizes that she is wrong. And at least according to the chief, she has retracted her complaint. That should end the story. Not one of these stupid news releases, threats, and a suspicious video, Greendale Police silent citizen complaint. No, the citizen complaint was based on an either a lie by the victim, alleged victim, or an incorrect interpretation. In the face of overwhelming video evidence, they are not pursuing it. And this group, again, refuses to accept that. Our WTMJ text line is exploding uh, let's see. Uh, my question is, what are the repercussions for this group and their false allegations supporting this victim? These groups should have some sort of standard when calling themselves legitimate activists and rights groups. A social security number is one of the main identification purposes all public service groups use to truly identify somebody without any issue. Um, uh, Sam says, if you or I filed a false complaint, wouldn't we be charged accordingly? All right, now see, and that's why I think what happened, the police chief, rather than simply running to the DA and saying, let's issue a citation or let's issue charges, the police chief met with the person who made the complaint, showed them the video, and gave them the opportunity to retract the complaint. Now, that doesn't get the officer's reputation back. That doesn't make this whole thing go away because the allegations are still out there. But I think the police chief handled this exactly right. Look, this is what the video shows. It shows that what you say happened did not happen. And the the woman who made the complaint says, okay, fine, you know, never mind. Um, let's see. Um, Chris in Elkhorn writes, regarding the woman being pulled over, the officer was following policy to the letter. Do people realize that if you travel abroad, that once your visa or work permit is done, authorities will give you a small window of time to either leave or renew? Even if the cop did ask her her immigration status, so what? He, he's doing his job. Um, Andy in Waukesha writes, Jeff, what a joke. Police officers are under enough fire these days and certainly don't need people making false news of their own just to get attention for the ridiculous cause. On the same note, I don't know if I feel comfortable offering my Social Security number to the police. I wouldn't want it on some random ticket somewhere. And again, that's that's to me a whole different issue. I mean, as long as they're asking everybody for their Social Security numbers, and that they're using them, they use it to collect fines. They don't use it to check immigration status. And again, I don't have an issue if they did use it to check immigration status. But big story number one, these allegations against the Greendale police blow up big time. And at least one community activist group adopts the policy of when you're wrong, be strong. 
they should be apologizing to the Greendale Police Department, the officer involved, and the chief. I won't hold my breath. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. All right, big story number two. Tomorrow morning, the former director of the FBI, James Comey, will testify. It uh, Networks are going to preempt programming. Um, it's uh, My plan is not to cover it live, although TV will be covering it live. Um, I am going to be asking our news department, and they'll be doing this anyways, to monitor this. And maybe we will dip in at some point in time, because the problem is, that when you have this testimony, sometimes there's earth-shattering stuff that occurs and sometimes just boring. And um, in some respects, it's better to just kind of digest it and then play the most interesting parts that are there. But James Comey is going to be testifying. James Comey, of course, the director of the FBI who was fired by President Trump in what I believe was a, a fit of, of peak. Um, Donald Trump clearly values loyalty. There's no question about it, and that's that's his mindset from the, the private sector. You know, the whole apprentice thing, you're fired. So what happened was, I think James Comey became increasingly uncomfortable around Donald Trump because Trump is frustrated with this whole Russian investigation. And there, there's no question, I think, that there were some conversations between the president and between the director of the FBI with regard to this investigation. And Trump became increasingly more frustrated that he couldn't dictate terms to the FBI director. The FBI director was clearly uncomfortable being told, you know, what he should and shouldn't do from a law enforcement capacity. And I think the president, my sense of what happened is the president got angrier and angrier and stewed over it and stewed over it and then made the decision to fire James Comey. I don't think it was an effort to derail any sort of Russian investigation because if it was, it was about the, the dumbest way to go about it because all that did was now, again, fuel the entire fire. Oh, is this sort of a cover-up or something like that? I think, and I believe a lot of times the simplest explanation for stuff is often what happened. And I, I think Trump just got mad, just got mad that he couldn't get his way. And so what he ended up doing is um, he ended up firing him. In any event, James Comey is going to testify tomorrow, and it's going to be great political theater. All right, there is a story in the Washington Post that is the the, the, the leadoff point for our, our big story number two, which is uh, essentially, is there any there there? The president seems to believe that, that this is just another anti-Trump witch hunt. Um, here's the story in the Washington Post. Headline, Trump, furious and frustrated, gears up to punch back at Comey testimony. Alone in the White House in recent days, President Trump, frustrated and defiant, has been spoiling for a fight, according to his confidants and associates. Um, glued even more than usual to the cable news shows that blare from the televisions in his private living quarters or from the 60-inch flat screen he had installed in his cramped office study off the Oval Office. He has fumed about fake news. Trump has seethed as his agenda has stalled in Congress and in the courts. He has chafed against the pleas for caution from his lawyers and political advisors, tweeting whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And on Thursday, the president will come screen to screen with FBI direct, the FBI director he fired, James Comey, thoughts um, of whom have consumed, haunted, and antagonized Trump since 
Comey launched an expanding Russian investigation that the president slammed as a witch hunt. Comey's testimony is a political Super Bowl, with television networks interrupting regular programming to air it and some Washington offices and bars making plans for special viewings. Trump is keen to be a participant rather than just another viewer, two senior White House officials said, including the possibility of taking to Twitter to offer acerbic commentary during the hearing. Okay, the implication is the, the, the President of the United States is thinking about going on Twitter to offer a running commentary in response to things that Comey says. I wish him luck, the President told reporters on Tuesday. He's infuriated at a deep gut personal level that the elite media has tolerated the Russia story and praised Comey, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich said. He's not going to let some guy like that smear him without punching him, punching him as hard as he can. Uh, and then it goes on and on. President's lawyers and aides have been urging him to resist engaging, and they hope to keep him busy Thursday with other events meant to compete for his and the news media's attention. Good luck with that on both counts. The president's going to have a very, very busy day, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said. I think his focus is going to be on pursuing the agenda and the priorities he was elected to do. All right. That is a noble thing. I think that is pie in the sky. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, they're laying down the gloves for what is going to happen tomorrow. And clearly the president is going to be engaged. He believes this has all been an anti-Trump witch hunt. My belief is that many of the president's problems are self-inflicted in this regard. And that if he were smart... If he were smart, he would just let it go. Should the president engage? Do you want him to see him, again, offering running commentary to the James Comey testimony? Or do you just want to see him, would he be better off just allowing the testimony to take place, the chips fall where they may? Do you want to see the president engage actively, or should he be off and about doing other things I think it's a no-brainer. I, I think this is one where you just stay away, but I don't think he's going to. What's going to happen and what should happen? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 918. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This Friday, two days from today. Dozens of World War II and Korean War veterans are headed to D.C. on a very special honor flight, and we're taking you on the ride every step of the way. From sunrise to sunset, our very own John McCure will document their journey with live reports throughout the day here on 620 WTMJ. It's our day of honor with Stars and Stripes Honor Flight. It all begins Friday morning here on WTMJ. Do not miss a minute. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tomorrow, former FBI Director James Comey testifies. He will presumably testify about things that are in his notes, uh, namely the fact that he 
had several private conversations initiated by the president where the president suggested that he abandon certain aspects of the, the Russia probe. That's what I think is, is going to come out of this. The uh, White House is apparently in complete and total war mode, campaign mode. They're getting ready to apparently try to discredit James Comey. There are reports that even suggest that the president might be considering offering a running t- commentary on Twitter as to the things that Comey says. I think I, I understand why there is a bunker mentality developing. I, I, I do. And I think that there are some aspects, some aspects of this whole Russia collusion thing that do have the appearance of kind of being a, a witch hunt. I, I get that because um, there's a lot of attention being paid to this. And, and so far, I, I don't see very much there there at the same time. If the president chooses to engage in the fashions that they are considering, the trash James Comey effort, for God's sake, live tweeting, something like that, I think while it will make for incredible political theater, I, I think that it would be the worst thing he could do. If, if if I were the advisors to the president, I would reach into my pocket, I would give him 20 bucks, I would send him to the movies and find a double feature. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should President Trump engage or just let it go? Lori in Milwaukee text. I definitely think he should not be tweeting. However, if he does, I'll be totally, I'll be totally watching. Um, another tweet. I want to see Trump live tweet Comey's testimony on Thursday. Um, let the president continue to embarrass himself and look like the blank he is that we all know him to be. Yeah, that's the uh, thing. Mitch in Sturgeon Bay writes, Trump is making his most ardent supporters edgy and his tempered backers embarrassed. He should dedicate himself to presidential stuff. Amen to all those tweets. I mean, a- amen or to, to all that. Because here's, here, here is, is the problem. As somebody who... You know, wasn't necessarily a Trump, certainly wasn't a Trump supporter during the the primary campaign. I, I, I look at this and I say you have to separate style and substance when it comes to various issues. I think from a substance perspective, there's a lot of stuff that you could point to since Trump became the president. You can say, hey, this is a positive sort of thing. That all being said, um, this whole Russian investigation is to me, it is a distraction. Now, maybe I will be proved wrong. Maybe there's some smoking gun showing that members of the Trump campaign colluded with, you know, Russian um, authorities or, you know, the Russian government trying to, you know, hack into files and affect the election. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. But the problem is, the problem is, whenever you engage in this sort of thing, pretty much everything Trump has done in connection with the Russian investigation has been the wrong move. His instincts are com- his instincts, which are normally to go on the attack and never apologize and blast ahead. That has been, compl- in my opinion, completely and totally the wrong way to handle this. Because what he does every time he does it, he takes what would be a one day story and turns it into a three or four day story. The best thing in the world for President Trump would be concentrate on getting some tax reform done and just ignore the Comey stuff. But I don't think that's going to happen. Tom in Watertown. Tom, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Say, you got to remember who his mentors were. His mentors were Roy Cohen, who was an right. aide to Joe McCarthy during the McCarthy hearings. Right. And Bobby Kennedy during those hearings, too, as well. <laughs> Kennedy has ties to Roy Cohen. But, yes, you're right. 
and uh, Jimmy the Greek. So I guess you get what you get. Uh, Donald Trump, he's going to hit back on anybody that ever comes. You know, if they hit him, he's going to hit back just as hard. Well, or harder. Yeah. Or harder. And it's just never going to end. So we get what we get in a president. And it's just too bad that it's like that, but... This is what we get. Yeah, so you don't you don't see him suddenly saying, "I'm going to turn the other cheek," or I, "I'm you know, I, no, I I don't know." My guess is he's going to be glued in front of some television, you know, fuming and fuming if there's any sort of negative stuff that comes out. And even though even though in his heart of hearts he probably knows he shouldn't engage, he's going to engage, don't you think? He's going to engage, and just look at the tweet that he put out this morning. I mean, that just puts fuel on the fire. Yeah, it's just right. It, thanks for it's just. It's one thing, again, it's one thing after another. And I, I want the president to succeed. And, and look, and I, I understand we are very, very polarized. There's a lot of people out there that just hate Trump, and there's nothing that Trump can do that will that will be good. It, it doesn't matter. He could go out and he could give everybody $100 bills, and the anti-Trumpers would complain that, hey, you know, i got to go to the bank and break this up. You know, why aren't you giving me 520s? Okay, so there, there's that. And then there's the people on the other side who just – I worship Donald Trump, and there's nothing that he can do or is wrong and view all these different types of things as witch hunts or whatever. And then there's guys like me who try to see both sides of this and are willing to give him credit when he does stuff that has good policy, but who cringe, who cringe at some of these type of stylistic things. And there's no question in my mind he has made the Russian investigation a lot worse. He's made it a lot worse by engaging the attorney general, trying to talk to, you know, the FBI director. I mean, you just, you let this stuff go. If you're the president of the United States, you know, and there's an investigation into whether it's your campaign or people around you, your, your response, if you're the president of the United States, your response to the FBI director or whatever, or the head of DEA, DEA or whoever, or the attorney general, your response is, look, um, you know, how can I help you? You know, do, do what you need to do. I don't. You're, I'm confident you're not going to find anything, but do what you need to do. Let's get this wrapped up as quickly as possible, and let's get this behind us so we can concentrate on the things that are really important in this country: um, security in the wake of terrorism attacks, and you know, tax reform and health care. Let's concentrate on the stuff that the American people, I think, really care about instead of all the, these silly sideshows. But unfortunately, President Trump's instinct is not to not to give in on any stuff, and I think you're going to see this tomorrow, even though he sure should just let it go. It's 926. Big thing number three is coming up. Uh, The state goes to the Supreme Court to enforce the cocaine mom law. Stick around. Nine twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Why are the feds warning local law enforcement about the threat that the opioid fentanyl is causing, is posing to police officers? The answer might surprise you. Scafidi and Billstat have the story that's coming up at one thirty-five this afternoon. I understand that people aren't quite dialed into political races yet, but one of the most interesting races in the state of Wisconsin next year, and there's going to be a lot of one. Um, is the state Supreme Court race. Um, Michael Gableman, who is just completing his first 10-year term, and the left hates Gableman because he's the one that defeated 
Louis Butler, 10 years ago, um, and became first person in a long time to defeat a sitting Supreme Court justice. Mike Gableman is up for election next year. And again, what's happening is there's a lot of there's a lot of the left that are very, very upset that there wasn't even a candidate that was fielded to run against uh, Justice and Ed Ziegler this year. So they're, they're out trying to find people. One of the people who's emerging is Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dallet, who is going to be running. There's another guy that's running, too. Um, interestingly enough, Dallet spoke at the Democratic Convention on Friday. Um, She's running one of the typical campaigns you get when liberal judges decide that they want to run for statewide office. That is, they try to pretend that they're not liberal judges. This, I would assume that the Dalit is going to be the favorite to emerge as the ultimate challenger to Mike Gableman. And it is going to present people with a stark contrast, you know, once again, between a conservative justice and somebody who would be significantly less conservative. So stay tuned. That's going to be one of the big races coming up, and we will be around to comment on it extensively. Thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. My producer Hondo. You're really wondering why Jane Matner sent me a a goat video. Yeah, there's a story behind that. Um, one Wisconsin congressman says stopping terror begins with limiting immigration. John McCure goes one on one with U.S. Representative Glenn Grothman. That is five twenty today on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Coming up in about a half hour, the latest controversy involving um, emotional support animals, which are different than service animals on airplanes and i will tell you it's 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 to me it's an absolute horror story which demonstrates why this scam needs to be stopped but we'll discuss that in about a half hour big story number three the wisconsin cocaine mom law may be going directly to the united states supreme court 20 approximately 20 years ago actually 19 years ago but we'll round up wisconsin passed a law which allowed allowed the state to get involved in protecting unborn children. Now, once a child is born, for example, if you were to have a mother or a father, let's take mother in this example, who after a child is born, decided to... I don't give the child cocaine, some sort of opioid, whatever. I mean, I don't think anybody, can I see a show of hands? Was there anybody out there who would raise their hand and say, no, I think the mother should be able to do that? Well, of course not. Now, if you find out that a mother is giving some child cocaine or something like that, of course you're going to pull the child from her. You're going to prosecute the mother for neglect and all sorts of things. Well, the, the law in Wisconsin that has been on the books for, like I say, going on two decades, says that if you have a woman, who is pregnant, and the evidence demonstrates, and this this is something that has to be shown in a court of law in front of a judge, but shows that the the woman has an habitual lack of self-control when it comes to the use of drugs, and and that that habitual lack of self-control creates a substantial risk to the physical health of the unborn child. So it's two standards. Essentially, mom is, you know, mom is a desperate junkie, and what mom is doing, you know, poses a risk to the physical health of the unborn child. You know, if if that's the case, and a court has to find it, and it's subject to appeal, if that's the case because of mom's 
current or past drug use or alcohol use, what can happen is she can then be held in secure custody and subjected to involuntary medical treatment in order to protect the, the baby. Um, once, once the baby is born, then mom can go back and start doing drugs or doing whatever she wants. But the idea is to protect the unborn child. That has been on the books for almost 20 years. And there are, I think at present, about 30-some women who are being held in protective custody um, under this law. Everything was fine until a very liberal federal judge in Madison issued a ruling um, not that long ago, which was considering the particular case uh, of a woman who was being held under the statute. And she was arguing, number one, that that there's not enough evidence to show that I fit in this. And number two, the whole statute is unconstitutional. So the judge, not being happy with just saying, okay, under these circumstances, under the facts of this case, I think the courts were wrong, the Wisconsin courts were wrong in, in saying that, you know, you qualified. What the federal judge did, and again, this is a, one of the newer federal judges that, at least in, in my opinion, has been on the, the wrong side, his name is James Peterson, of a, a whole series of sort of social decisions that I think are ultimately going to get reversed. But, you know, bring, again, as I always say, the law is an art. It's not a science. And, you know, people, even federal judges, bring their different biases and their perspectives, you know, to the courts. And, you know, reasonable people can disagree. That's why, like I say, the art of law is an art, not a science. But anyhow, this federal judge struck down the entire law as being unconstitutional, saying that this, uh, again, deprives the, the women deprives the the women of the right to due process. It's unreasonably vague. And not just simply saying, as applied to this particular woman, applies to all sorts of women. So Wisconsin now has, you know, a number of women who are, uh, again, being held in order to protect their unborn children. And they're asking for this order to be stayed, at least allowing them to continue to hold the various women who have already been ordered to be held under the law. Uh, The judge wouldn't do it. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals wouldn't do it. And now the state is going to the Supreme Court, issuing, asking for an emergency injunction, at least allow us to take the moms, the druggy moms, potential moms right now, and let us allow them to continue to stay in custody. We can give them treatment. We can help them out. And we can protect their unborn children. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me... Now, regardless of where you stand on the the abortion debate, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice or somewhere in the middle, I find it difficult to believe that anybody on either side of this issue would essentially believe that a mother should be allowed to poison her unborn child. And that is effectively what is happening when you have mothers who are taking heroin or using cocaine or taking methamphetamine or whatever other drugs that are out there who refuse to stop. Um, You know, think about all the problems that you have when children are born with the cocaine babies. I mean, think of all these issues. And, And that's something that is going to affect that child through that child's entire life. This, in my opinion, is a reasonable law which allows and balances the interest of the state 
in trying to make sure that a child, in this case an unborn child, but a child nonetheless, that the child is not born addicted to cocaine or is not born with all the birth defects or the problems that typically come with being born when you have cocaine or something like that in your system. It balances that interest with the right, again, of, of the mother. Um, and it says, hey, mom, you know, if you want to be a druggie, you know, fine, you, you go, you go do that, but you don't do it if you are putting your unborn child at risk. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I very much hope that the Supreme Court intervenes. I think this federal judge is completely and totally wrong in striking down the entire law. And I think as a matter of policy, what Wisconsin did almost 20 years ago to try to balance the rights of the druggy moms and the rights of their unborn children is very, very reasonable. And like I say, you know, a day after the child is born, if you caught the mom injecting the kid with heroin or giving him cocaine, you'd prosecute the mom, you'd take the baby away. Why should you be able to do that three days before the child is born? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the cocaine mom law, should it be allowed to stand? We discuss next. It's 943. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's our tribute, Midnight Rider, to the Allman Brothers Band and the late, great Greg Allman passed away last week. WTMJ's classic free ride is out of our garage and it's ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com. This is sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out a photo gallery of your next car. All right. Uh, the state of Wisconsin has been forced into a situation, thanks to a decision by a federal judge out of Madison. Why is it? Why is it that it's federal judges or circuit court judges out of Madison that decide consistently that they're the ones who know better than the state legislature? They're the ones that know better, in this case, than the state Supreme Court. Um, federal judge in Madison struck down Wisconsin's almost 20-year-old cocaine mom law. And now the state of Wisconsin has been forced to appeal to the Supreme Court um, seeking an injunction which would allow, uh, allow at least under the cocaine mom law, allow the 25 pregnant women who have already been found to, I don't know, essentially essentially be druggies. You know, the pregnant women who have found to have a habitual lack of self-control when it comes to drugs and alcohol, and that their habitual lack of self-control is creating a substantial risk to the physical health of the unborn child. This, The state is now saying, hey, look, you know, while this matter is, is litigated, we want to at least be able to continue to keep these 25 women in some sort of custody so we can get them, and perhaps equally, if not more important, we can make sure that their unborn children are not born with cocaine in their system or heroin in their system and subject to all these various problems. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. I hope the Supreme Court takes this case. I hope the Supreme Court issues this injunction. And again, to me, this isn't this isn't a question of where you come down on the whole standard of, of abortion or, or things like that. This, to me, is a simple question 
of the protection of unborn children. Um, you know, there, there's no question about it. It's the protection of unborn children. And if you can, again, if you could issue restraining orders or put mothers in prison for giving their two-year-old, two-day-old children, you know, cocaine or heroin or whatever, you should be able to do something in advance because the child doesn't have, the unborn child doesn't have the choice. And if mom is doing heroin or mom is taking cocaine or mom is drinking herself into blackout stages, well, I, I think the state has a legitimate right to intervene. We are not talking about the mom that goes out and has the occasional glass of wine. I mean, that's not what the statute says. I mean, the statute says there has to be an habitual lack of self-control and a substantial risk to the physical health of the unborn child. All right, so it hasn't been used to try to criminalize or to try to lock up, you know, a pregnant woman who goes out and has a glass of wine. That's not what it's being used to do. It is being used in the extreme cases, and for the life of me, I understand that there are some people, including some people who are on the federal bench, who refuse to recognize that, I don't know, an unborn child is precisely an unborn child that does, in fact, have certain rights. Instead, they view it as something something less, or that they view the rights of the mother to trump any rights that the unborn child has. Well, when it comes to situations like this, I mean, to me, the law makes eminent sense. It is unfortunate that this law ends up getting struck down. I think ultimately it's going to be sustained. But in the meantime, the biggest concern should be what about the 25 women who are currently in some form of protective custody in order to protect their the health of their fetuses, their unborn children? Do you really want them turned loose to go start sticking their noses in bags of cocaine and recognizing that when they do that, there's going to be a good chance that there's going to be really bad problems that happen with the children that come from this particular situation and that we as a society are going to have to be dealing with this. The foster parents are going to have to be dealing with this. The mothers and the grandfathers are going to have to be, you know, dealing with this. I mean, really, isn't a little bit of intervention now, doesn't that make the most sense as a matter of policy? Evelyn in Germantown, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my comment was, uh, I agree that something has to be done to help these unborn children, but it seems almost irresponsible to let them be born and then hand them right back to uh, a situation where you either have the mother still on drugs or yep. the home life is not what it right. should be. Right, yeah, because, right, right, exactly. And I think, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, thanks for calling, Evan. I, I'm with you on that. Because, um, right, if, if mom is... If mom is a hard, let's just take the example. Mom is a hardcore drug addict. All right, and and the the treatment. Let's say she's been confined under this for the last three months of her pregnancy in order to keep her from you know going out and shooting up heroin or or whatever. You're exactly right. If once the child is born, you send mom home with the child, and three days later mom is out, you know, trying to score heroin again, the the, the child's going to be you know messed up in a different sort of fashion. So I mean, I I agree with you that that's certainly something that you need to, from a social services perspective, be monitoring what is the environment. But actually, that's the type of thing that you can, in fact, get involved in, because once the child is born, the child is a person, 
and you know the child has the rights to be protected and the state has an interest the problem is this this law because at least you have one federal judge at least so far who hasn't recognized that unborn children are in fact something other than people um, has defined declined to you know extend that protection to the unborn children and I think that that's that's unfortunate, and that's where the problem lies. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes, the scam that is emotional support animals. Stick around. It's 9.53. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.56. Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ, and it's your chance to play lawmaker for the day when Scafidi and Bilstad open the lines this afternoon during There Ought to Be a Law. They'll take your calls from 2 to 2.30 today here on WTMJ. All right. Yesterday, one of our breaking news stories was an incident at Whitefish Bay High School where two 15-year-olds, apparently what happened is these two 15-year-olds who the police say are known to them, the chief says his officers have had multiple contacts with these two teenagers in the past. They bring a loaded handgun to, to school, and I think they did this Monday is what I believe. They, they go into a school bathroom. They pull out the what turns out to be loaded handgun, and they start clowning around with it, you know, posing with the gun. I've seen part of the video. It looks like they're emulating gangbangers and things like that with a loaded handgun. They film themselves doing this, and then they post pictures of themselves displaying the loaded gun in the bathroom on the Internet, Snapchat, etc., which... I mean, again, this is what we used to call when I was a prosecutor, felony dumb. All right. So then all sorts of people in the community see it. Understandably, people become a bit concerned that there's two kids who are in Whitefish Bay High School in the bathroom clowning around with a loaded handgun. The chief, and by the way, I like the chief a lot in Whitefish Bay. He says, well, okay, just they brought the gun to school. There's no evidence that they intended to shoot anybody. They actually, apparently they intended to sell it to another student which I'm not sure makes it any better. <laughs> they were going to sell it to another student, but the deal apparently fell through. So um, after they post this, people in the community who see it, they call the cops. The cops go out to the houses. One kid lives in Milwaukee, go figure. The other lives in Whitefish Bay. They find the gun apparently in the Whitefish Bay kid's house um, loaded behind his bed. Authorities also arrested the other student at a house in Milwaukee. Both teens admitted to being in possession of the gun, which, here's another dazzling detail, was stolen in Milwaukee in 2015. It is still unclear how these kids got access to a stolen handgun from a couple years ago, but they've now recovered the gun. So now the question becomes, what do you do with these kids? And there's already this conversation, well, they were just clowning around. They didn't mean to kill anybody. They weren't going to do Okay. To me, real simple. First of all, these kids should never be back at Whitefish Bay High School again. Number one, school district should expel them. You bring a loaded handgun to school, boom, you're gone. Number two, you bring a loaded, stolen handgun to school, you should also be prosecuted. And the kids are apparently right now in juvenile detention. That's where they are. We have to have a zero-tolerance plan when it comes to bringing guns to school. And, um, again, these aren't misunderstood youth. I don't care if they're clowning around. I don't care what their purpose was. You bring a loaded handgun to school, and you're stupid enough to then film yourself playing around with a loaded handgun in the bathroom. You're never back at that school. As a matter of fact, you're probably in juvenile detention for, I think, at least six months. (laughs) 
1009. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Jane, you're with me. These these two kids that brought the stolen handgun to Whitefish Bay on Monday afternoon, the fact that they didn't intend to shoot anybody, but they intended to sell it to one of their classmates, that's not necessarily any less alarming to you. Uh, no, it's not. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, what did you think the guy that you were going to, or guy or girl, whoever that you were going to sell it to was going to do with it? Well, yeah. and I guess what disturbs me also is they were jumping around with it loaded. They're going to sell it loaded. I just had a story from Tennessee this morning where a toddler shot a seven-year-old. Sure. Fatally. Sure. No, I, I it's, it, it's it, just it, mind-boggling. Well, well it, it it is. It is. And I guess, and I, I'm sure authorities are pursuing this because, the, I mean, the follow-up story to it is how did a pair of 15-year-olds, um, I mean, they, they find the gun, it's stolen. It's been stolen for two years. They find it loaded in this kid's bedroom, all right? How did a 15-year-old kid in Whitefish Bay get a hold of a stolen handgun from Milwaukee? You know, that's, I mean, it's just... That is what an inquiring mind wants to know. I mean, how, how, and I mean, obviously, there's some trail somewhere, and um, somebody should go to jail. <laughs> yes, that's just kind of it, you know. But thankfully, it's, yep. Okay. I, yeah. That, and then I'm nobody not, got hurt. Nobody got hurt, right? And, I, and I'm not criticizing the police department. I understand what they were saying. They're just saying, well, okay, they didn't intend, this wasn't going to be a school shooting. They intended to, they were clowning around with it. They intended to sell the gun, which. That's better than we intended to come and shoot all our classmates. I get it, but it's still sort of a troubling sort of thing because if the transaction had gone through, my question would be, what did the guy, the kid who wanted to buy the gun, intend to do with it? Oh, well. All right. I'm about to climb up on my soapbox on this story. I love dogs. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I I have a a little dog myself. I, I, I just absolutely love my dog. I have not taken her on a plane yet. My dog is a Pomeranian. She's a little over five pounds. Um, she would fit in a, in a little, I, I mean, I've got a couple different types of carriers. I could put her in a carrier. I could zip the top shut. I could put it under the seat in front of me, and, and she would fit. Um, she wouldn't like being in the carrier. I, I don't know. I, I've never taken her on a plane. A- at some point in time, I think I'm probably going to. I don't think I'd take her on a plane by myself. Hopefully, I'd have somebody traveling with me that would help out. But but I, I would do everything I can to try to you know, make sure the experience was. I, don't, I, I would like to take her in the cabin. If that means I've got to buy an extra seat for her or something, I'm cool with that. All right? I, I do. And, and this dog, my dog, I mean, she she makes me feel happy. She gives me emotional support. You know, I, I you, you come home and it's been a good day or a bad day. She's just always glad to see you. Um, yesterday, said my, my best friend, and his son Evan and Dean, they came over to the house, uh, and you know they they walk into the the room where we're in, and Sasha's jumping up and down. She's on her hind legs. I mean, it's a great reception. You know, it, most of us we don't come home and get that kind of reception. It, it's just it's a great reception. So the dog gives me emotional support. The dog isn't really an emotional support animal. Now, let me just explain the background before we get into the facts of the story. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, businesses, rental units, houses, all these things, you are required to accommodate people with disabilities. And that includes being required to accommodate people with service dogs. Okay, that, that's the term. A service dog is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act, but a service dog is something that has a specific definition. Service dog, first of all, it has to be a dog. Secondly, it has to, you know, be trained. So, I mean, this is like, 
seeing eye dogs, or it's not limited to seeing eye dogs, but that's the type of thing. These are these are tr- animals that are trained to help people with a particular disability, and people have a right to do it. You you know, you show up to a restaurant, and the restaurant might have a no dogs policy. Well, okay, if this is a legitimate service dog covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, the, the dog can come in with you, all right, to help you. That That's just the example. There are these other things called emotional support animals and they are they are not covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act um, emotional support animals are covered by you know something it's 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 a different sort of it's a different version it's not covered by the Americans with Disability Act it's covered by a, a regulation you know issued by the FAA like air carrier access act and you know sanctioned by Congress okay this only applies to airplanes airlines and it relates to emotional support animals all right it's not limited to dogs an emotional support animal does not need to have any special training at all. It's not like a service dog, right, that's been trained and stuff. It's just an animal that essentially makes you more comfortable. So in order to qualify, what you need is two things. You need, first of all, to have a letter from some medical provider. It could be a chiropractor. It could be a doctor, whatever, saying that you have some sort of condition which needs that, that you know, you, you need this animal around you in order to travel. And then secondly, you need some sort of letter from someone saying that this animal, you know, will provide you with emotional support. So there's this cottage industry that is developed. For $149, you can go on the Internet and you can get a letter from somebody in California that you have never seen saying, hey, you know, Jeff gets nervous when he flies. You should, he, should, he needs his dog with him. And it costs you about $149. You never have to see the person. And then you can get another letter saying, okay, Jeff's dog is, a social, uh, is, a, is an emotional support animal. If you have these letters, and sometimes you don't even need both letters, the airlines are required to let you bring your animal. And it doesn't just have to be a dog. It could be a pig. It could be a cat. It could be whatever. They're required to let you bring your animal on, and they're required to let you have your animal travel for free. So th- this this has been a, it's a complete and total scam that's out there because people have figured this out. Hey, I want to take my dog with me. I don't want to have to pay. You know, I, I fly a lot. I don't want to have to pay 150 bucks or whatever. Here, I, I'm instead of paying to travel with my to have my dog pay the airlines, I'm just going to pay you know some doctor feel good who's going to give me this letter, and then I'm going to take my dog, pig, whatever on on the planes with me. All right. Here's the story. Happened uh, on Sunday. Delta passenger mauled by emotional support dog. And again, this isn't a service dog. A Delta passenger was badly injured after a quote-unquote emotional support dog 
attacked the passenger on a flight about to depart from Atlanta's Hartfield Airport on Sunday. The dog had to be removed from the flight from Atlanta to San Diego before departing. The injured passenger's condition is unknown. Another passenger who witnessed the incident told Fox 5 the dog weighed roughly 50 pounds and appeared to be a Labrador mix. The injured passenger, get this, was reportedly sitting in the window seat while the owner and their dog sat in the middle seat. You've got a packed airplane. You've got a guy who's in the window seat. You've got um, the the person in the middle seat. So you're crammed in the middle seat, and I think it's a she. Could be wrong on that, but I think it's a she. Has a 50-pound dog that is... Obviously, I mean, too big to sit under the seat in front of him. So it's probably climbing all over the the person in the middle seat. The guy's crammed in. Who knows exactly what happens? But the dog attacks the passenger. They say the man's face was completely bloody, bloody in his eyes, cheeks, nose, his mouth. His shirt was covered with blood. Um, Emergency crews helped the injured passenger off the flight. Um, He was bitten by this emotional support dog. Um, the dog's owner was reportedly a veteran, was visibly upset by the incident. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These emotional support animals, this is a scam, in my opinion. And I think it is absurd that airlines should have to allow people to bring animals on the plane for free a 50 pound dog sitting in this person's lap i mean gee what could go wrong with that particular scenario and if i was the passenger i mean if i was the other person and forget okay forget the attack i mean can you imagine you're crammed on one of these little airlines you're in the coach class somebody you know so you're in the aisle or you're in the window or whatever at the window seat somebody plops down in the middle with a 50-pound dog. I mean, really? At some point in time, I, I think what you have to say is, look, if you want to travel, unless this is a service dog that is certified like a seeing-eye dog or something like that, what you have to do is, first of all, you have to buy a seat for the dog or transport the dog. And secondly, you have to do it in a fashion that is not going to pose a risk to the safety or the comfort of the other passengers. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is absolutely appalling. And bigger point is it's it's a scam. People recognize this, and people are too cheap to pay for their, their pets or whatever, and they want them to be able to fly with them. And so this cottage industry has developed. It's time for the government to say, okay, there's no such thing as an emotional support animal, or at least it's not going to be protected when it comes to flying on airplanes. And if if you can't make it through an airplane flight without having your dog or your pot-bellied pig or whatever, well, okay, the answer is drive. 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I think this is outrageous. It's 1020, and this is Jeff Wagner. 1022, Jeff Wagner. I'm looking at one of these stories, but it's emotional support animals. There's a chiropractor who, for $250, will write you a letter saying that you have a disability. What could be the disability? Stress, back pain, neck pain, depression, anxiety, 
Ever have a headache? I'll give you a letter saying that you need to travel with an emotional support animal. You give me 250 bucks, and then your pet that doesn't have to be trained at all, your pet gets to fly for free. That's absolutely crazy. And, of course, the latest story is some guy on a Delta flight on Friday, on Sunday, um, some woman, I think it's a woman, some passenger shows up with a 50-pound lab, not a trained dog, not a trained, you know, um, particular, it's not particularly, tra- has no individual training, and the dog is 50 pounds, and it's going to be sitting on the woman's, essentially, her lap, during a flight from Atlanta to San Diego. Can you imagine? And before they even take off, the dog attacks the guy sitting next to him. Huh. Let's talk to Vicky on the east side. Vicki, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I Hi. recently took a um, flight coming back from LaGuardia, and uh, I was amazed at how many dogs were there, not in crates. Yeah. Dogs in the waiting area. They're barking at each other. Yeah. There was a passenger that was next to me and she says oh god she said please don't let a dog sit next to me because i'm highly allergic yep if they lift me i i'm yeah. going to have a reaction yeah you know, right, and some people, I mean, some people, look, are, are nervous around dogs. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. this, right, this, yeah, uh, it's this entire thing, right, this has been, you know, this has been a, you know, an ongoing problem, and it's the difference between, like, valid service dogs versus, again, these emotional support animals that have become nothing but a scam that's going on there. I have an email from one of our listeners who says, you know, I'm allergic to dogs and cats. Do I have any rights, or do I have to suffer for four hours? No, the answer is you have to suffer for four hours, I guess. Well, and if you've seen the seats, they're very, very tight nowadays with the dog. If you're a dog owner, you will understand that the dog is Highly anxious. Yeah. There's strangers around them. That dog. Yeah. Bit because it was frightened. Well, well, sure. Like I say, now my my dog is little. She, you know, she's she's five to six pounds. I can put her in a carrier, and I can put the carrier under the seat of in front of me. You know, but but she's small. This was a fifty pound dog. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, th- th- that dog's not going to fit under the seat at, at all. That dog. You know, she's climbing all. The dog is climbing all over the passenger. Well, here's the other thing, too. You cannot fly with a 50-pound child sitting on your seat. You yep. have to buy a seat. Right. So common sense needs to come and play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- thanks thanks for the call. And I mean, and look, I, I appreciate that for people who have what I would decide describe as a real disability, but that, you know, maybe you need to do something to accommodate them. But that's not what has happened here. Again, this is people have figured this out because this law and these regulations are so much broader than the Americans with Disabilities Act, and because there's all these doctor feel goods or scammers or whatever. I mean, chiropractors really? Okay, you, you need to have a condition that qualifies. Are you stressed? Okay, can I see a sec- Everybody is stressed. Okay, that, that's it. Do you ever have headaches? Almost everybody has headaches. Um, do you have some anxiety? Well, I'm going to fly on a plane. Everybody's got a little bit of anxiety. Great. Here, you get to take your dog with you or your pig or your cat or whatever for free. Um, let's talk to Joan in Waukesha. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joan. I am disabled, and I would love to bring my 100-pound Labrador with me. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to sit with her more than most of the people that I travel with. <laughs> sure. The rest, 
the reason I don't is because I'll, I personally would never put my dog under the belly of a, of a plane. Right. When this first came out, I thought, well, this is kind of neat. I mean, you could take Sasha. You, you know, yeah. this is all these dogs. I love it. This is this Delta bite is going to change everything. Mm -hmm. And I never even thought about the allergies, the anxiety of people that have. Oh, I sure. mean, this is. You know, I think you know what happened at Delta probably is for the best. And the fact of the matter is that that doctor is doing that. Yeah. This world is mad. Yeah, right, right, right. It is. I mean, look, I can, you know, for somebody that has the legitimate disability and needs, for example, let me, let's take the extreme case. You, you need the seeing eye dog. I mean, I have no problem with the dog accompanying him. I think the dog should probably have its own seat, you know, that space that, that's there. But you're, we're talking about trained dogs. These, these are pets is what, these aren't any sort of training. It's just, gee, I'm a, I'm a little bit anxious or I'm a little bit depressed and I, I'd like to have my dog with me so I can pet him or her. Well, okay, that shouldn't be a basis to get a free trip of, for the dog and it certainly shouldn't, you know, allow the dog, a 50 pound dog to be sitting next to somebody who's, you know, who's looking out the window who might be creeped out by being around dogs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, it's just, it's it's absolutely, completely and totally aggravating with regard to this. Um, and, and again, to me, it's, I mean, I, we're getting all sorts of texts. The 50-pound dog becomes a safety hazard in flight. It's not buckled in. It would become a projectile if the plane hits turbulence. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, I mean, again, the idea is that the dog is supposed to be able to sit at your feet and things like that. Clearly, this dog wasn't doing that, and I understand it. If I brought my little dog onto a, a plane, and, you know, she would be, she would probably be more anxious than I would be. It's 1029. This is Jeff Wagner. This law needs to change. 1029. It's 1037. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. New reports show that phone scams are popping up again in the area. How can you tell what's a scam and what's not? Our very own John McCure explains 3.40 p.m. on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. Story in the Journal Sentinel today. The headline asks, when should police chase fleeing cars? Now, I, I, and there's a question mark. Now, I don't know about you. But I think there is an easy answer to this. And the easy answer is every damn time some bad guy tries to run from the cops, period. But that, of course, is not what we do in Milwaukee. In the city of Milwaukee, under Ed Flynn, with the blessing of Tom Barrett, there is a, a pursuit policy. The pursuit policy says we do not chase Unless, when somebody flees from the police, we do not chase unless there is evidence to believe that the car that is running away from us has been involved in the commission, essentially, of a serious crime. So, in other words, if the car that they see was carjacked, all right, all right, they will chase. If the car that they see that runs from them, they believe it's got, you know, a couple kids who are responsible for murder, they will chase. But otherwise, and see, in most times, the cops don't know why the car is running from them. I mean, how, how does this come about mostly? Police are driving down the street. They see the car that runs through a red light, or they see the car that's speeding or weaving into traffic or whatever. You know, they put on the bubble lights, and then the car takes off from them. They don't know why the car is running. They just know that the car has committed, most times, a traffic violation and has now taken off. Well, the word, of course, has gotten out on the streets 
that Milwaukee police do not chase. And the bad guys know it. I mean, this number is absolutely staggering. Um, for 2016, and, and the Milwaukee police, they're responsible for keeping track. They, they have to log. They have to document when they chase. 2016, for the entire year, last year, they chased 305 cars that, that fled. 4,317 cars fled and were not pursued. Now, let me, let me just leave that number hang out there. All right, so you've got um, roughly 4,600 vehicles that run from the Milwaukee police. Of those 4,600 vehicles that run from the police, they only chased a little over 300. <laughs> All right. You know, so if you are driving down Silver Spring, for example, and you watch a car driving 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, blow through a red light, and you see a police officer, like, sitting in a parking lot, and you wonder why they don't go after him, well, it's because they're, they're not going to be allowed to chase him. And, of course, the bad guys all know this. For the first quarter of 2017 this year, um, the Milwaukee Police Department recorded 27 pursuits. That's, by the way, a 62% decline from the first quarter of last year. So they're chasing even fewer people. Now, you might say, hey, maybe that's good news. Maybe it's because there's not as many people running from the cops in Milwaukee. But, of course, we know that that's not true. <laughs> we, we know that that's complete and total bull. 30, 27 pursuits in the first quarter, down 62% from the first quarter of last year. The number of non-pursuits in the first quarter of this year, January through March, 1,675 non-pursuits. If that trend continues throughout the rest of the year, that means that there will be somewhere north of 32, 6,400 fleeing cars that are simply allowed to drive off by the police. I, I have in my hands a, a press release. Kansas City. Um, Kansas City used to have one of these, these policies, the, these sort of similar to you know, what they have in Milwaukee, uh, of not chasing. Um, Kansas City has recently reversed I- its policies, and now they're, they're saying um, we were going in the wrong direction and it's time for us to change that because what they're noticing is if they don't chase, the bad guys just run. So story in the Journal Sentinel, when should police chase fleeing cars? My response is all the time, all the time. Now, if it becomes a situation where you know that you're putting people in danger, it's 2 o'clock, it's Wisconsin Avenue, it's crowded, maybe in those situations you make the call that you're going to let them go. go. But, but if you do not, as a policy and a matter of general rule, say every time, every time somebody runs from us, we are not going to let them get away, you are inviting the type of lawlessness which is now spreading in Milwaukee. Here's the first couple paragraphs of the Journal Sentinel story. The car blew through a red light at a busy intersection in Greenfield, speeding towards the highway. An officer chased after the car, 
who slowed and stopped on the freeway on-ramp. The officer peered in the window and recognized the 25-year-old woman who had skipped court in a shoplifting case. Don't even think about taking off. That's not going to get you anywhere, the officer said. But that's exactly what she did. In Milwaukee, police would not have chased her. In Greenfield, they did. And the police chief in Milwaukee is adamant he's not going after bad guys who run from his police. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you wonder why Milwaukee continues to be like the Wild West, it is because of policies like this, where the officers are essentially told, let the bad guys go. Let them endanger the public. Let them ignore your officers. Let them take off. Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett's policy, in my opinion, puts the general public at risk, at risk from the criminals who are going to get loose, at risk from the people who are driving 80, 90 miles an hour and blowing through red lights with impunity, who all too often end up losing control of the car. I understand that there's times where a chase is not practicable and that there is times where you simply, because of the circumstances, it's unsafe to other people and it's unsafe to the officer. But the policy, first, last, and always have been, should be, you chase all the time unless and until the, you know, the evidence, the circumstances are such that makes it too dangerous to chase. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's what I think. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously. 27 chases so far this year, and what is what was the number again? 27 chases and almost 1,700 people who have been allowed to flee. You wonder why there is lawlessness up and down the streets of Milwaukee. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. Um, it's going to be an interesting conversation. It's 1045. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1049. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Cindy and Franklin. Cindy, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I have a question. Of those 300 that you said yeah. were chased last year, how many were arrested, pursued, jailed, <laughs> prosecuted for their crimes? Yeah, see, see in, in fairness to Ed Flynn, one of the things that he says, and I'm just going to kind of cut through it, I'll sort of paraphrase, but essentially his point is, well, even if we catch them, Nothing happens to them once we transfer most of them over to the justice system. So why, I mean, he kind of, why bother? Why put people at risk? Why put our office at risk? Because even if we catch them, nothing bad is going to happen to them. And I will concede he does, in fact, have a point. But just to let him get away, to me, seems like you're just throwing in the towel. I yeah. can see his point because you hit somebody on the street, you cause harm. Uh, it's another $2 million lawsuit for the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's that's his justification for it. Thanks, Nicole. But, but here's, the, here's the problem. I think we confuse two concepts. The fact that you have judges in Milwaukee County who refuse to hold people accountable for their behavior. Or, you know, you have a juvenile that seals. The argument would be, hey, we got this juvenile who's been responsible. His fingerprints are on 22 stolen cars. We, we finally catch him, and then we're just going to let him back out on the streets. The fact that you have juvenile court judges who refuse to hold people accountable, I mean, that, that is, that's one issue. 
But for us to simply say, as a result of that, because you've got really bad judges or really soft judges or a DA's office that spends hundreds of thousands of dollars chasing down, you know, these cockamamie legal theories on a John Doe investigation to Governor Walker and doesn't have enough resources to aggressively prosecute, I don't know, other types of offenses. Because that part of the system is so screwed up, to say we're going to tell our cops not to do our job, to me, you might as well then just throw in the towel. Then it's kind of like, let's turn the city of Milwaukee into escape from New York. Let's just put up a big fence around it, and, you know, law-abiding citizens can simply move out. Because by, by not chasing, you are essentially giving up. Let's talk to Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hey, I think this is a perfect example of uh, policing through politics. Yes. Um, on a number of fronts, you have uh, the city government here that is determining their policing methodology based on politics. Yep. They're guarding against making arrests based on uh, demographics. Yep. They don't want the stats to look too bad, so they don't want to, if they're overburdening certain demographics over others. Yeah, what, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, what you're saying is if you, you chase um, the stolen cars and stuff, you're going to have a disproportionate number of minorities, arguably minority youth, that end up getting caught, and then, you know, our, gee, we're, we're targeting minority youth. That, you know, that, I think you're right. I think that's a concern as well, sure. Absolutely. And then you factor in the, the fact that they're not prosecuting uh, these individuals. When you look at the, the number of car thefts in the city of Milwaukee that has been committed by minors from 17 years and younger, it's went up over 700%. Mm-hmm. So they are very aware of the policy. They, are, they know exactly what sure. their options are. And thirdly, as a, as a person whose entire family is law enforcement, it also basically, as far as I'm concerned, it questions the professionalism of a police officer's ability to determine what is a safe pursuit sure. opportunity versus not. So you're tying your hands, yeah. and you're frustrating communities because you're not pr- prosecuting these people. You have nowhere to put them. And then most of these kids have been arrested. If you go and look, a lot of them have been arrested two and three and four times. Right. Right, and you wonder so how many times those kids all around. right, and you wonder how many times those kids have been involved, you know, in in chases because the word gets out just just run, and that just emboldens them. So then they go out, they steal another car. They they know they're not going to be followed. No, thank, and that th- this it is a stupid policy, and and I again I sympathize. Flynn, you know, he's frustrated by getting criticized by members of the Common Council who think that. Who, who want it both ways. We, we, we don't want you arresting and locking up this too many of this type of person or that type of person. And his point is, well, okay, if we do chase and we do catch people, what do you think we're going to be – who do you think we're going to be catching? And then you're going to give me static for that. But the bottom line is you're just quitting. And these numbers are staggering, and they're getting worse. And, again, I, I, I'm with you. I, the default policy should be you chase. You chase every time. You chase people. We're going to catch you. We're going to put you in handcuffs. And then I would like to see Tom Barrett and Ed Flynn use this bully pulpit that they have. Instead of whining about how we need tougher gun laws in Madison, I would like to see them start to call out the ridiculous sentences that come out of the judges here. Start naming names. Use your bully pulpit to do that, and maybe it'll be a difference. But not chasing is quitting and the bad guys know that you are in fact quitting and they are taking advantage of this like i say you're you're on track right now to have less than 200 pursuits 
and more than 6,000 people who flee knowing that they are going to run and not be caught. I mean, imagine what that says to the police officers. And again, that's why the default position should be, we're going to chase you. We're going to chase every one of you. If facts dictate that you should dis, you know, do away with the chase, stop chasing, fine. I, I understand that. Sometimes that ends up what's going to happen. But how many, how many of these things have to happen before... If you live in the city of Milwaukee, you say enough is enough. Or if you live in the suburbs and you see the criminals from Milwaukee who are emboldened by this, who are now coming out and who forget that, hey, Greenfield's going to chase you. Greendale's going to chase you. Waukesha, they're going to chase you. You go, whoa, I'm not used to this because I've been stealing cars and driving away and thumbing my nose at Milwaukee police officers for years. Thank you, Ed Flynn. Thank you, Tom Barrett. Frank and Racine. Frank, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, where's the trade-off? I mean, it's, it's supposed to be, they don't chase cars because of harming people, but the people are, are flying up and down Capitol Drive now on the yep. northwest side of Milwaukee at 70, 80 miles an hour. Yep. I think there's been 34 uh, vehicle deaths in Milwaukee County this year. Yep. Up from how many from my, you know, I don't remember how many last year, but yeah. where, where are they ahead? They're well, not. Well, 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 right, exactly. Well, we don't want to endanger people with the chase. Well, okay, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you, you drive across North Avenue. You drive across Capitol Drive. You go across Silver Spring at certain times. Hampton, I mean, and that's just a couple of the major thoroughfares. You will routinely see cars driving like maniacs, doing it, over, running red lights, going 70 to 80 miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, th- those crashes are going up, too. And my guess is, and again, it's, it's just a guess. You're never going to be able to document it one way or the other, but my guess is that a lot of the people driving like that have perhaps been involved in one way, shape, or form or other in situations where the police have tried to pull them over before and let them go when they took off. So, Journal Sentinel, when should police chase fleeing cars? If you care about safety in the community, the answer is easy. It's every damn time somebody chooses to run. But until the forces of political correctness Leave the head of Tom Barrett and Ed Flynn. It isn't going to change. 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1108, this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. The story of the, the woman, reality winner, Reality winner. That's a mean thing to play. That's a mean joke to play on a kid. Reality winner is the 26-year-old woman who was arrested the other day for leaking classified information to an Internet source that the information related to um, allegations that, that Russia was trying to, like, hack into state, like, election servers. And matter of fact, I, we, we talked about this yesterday. And I, I, to me, there, there, are, there are two issues. Uh, obviously, and there's no secret, do I believe that Russia was trying to actively influence the American election? Yeah, I, I do. Do I believe that the Russian government um, was responsible or complicit in some of this hacking? Absolutely, I do. So that that's issue number one. But there is a completely, and, and that, that will, of course, be dealt with in time. There is then, though, this separate issue where you have... People who have access to security information who decide to take it upon themselves to share that information. In this case, this woman, she's 26 years old, never went to college, was in the Air Force for a few years, got out of the Air Force, and it is 
uh, somewhat, uh, she's a wacky left-wing political activist. Um, she gets a security clearance. Now, I assume it's perhaps based on her Air Force service, but any anybody who did you know any sort of cursory investigation into her would see that she was a, a Trump hater. Um, on her, her, her digital footprint, she's calling him our tangerine in chief, a liar, several expletives. She's talking about how upset she is about like climate change and all sorts of things like that. It, it's very clear that she was a Trump hater and did not like the direction of this country. Well, you would think that before this woman with this background could get a security clearance, that there would at least be some sort of cursory investigation into her political leanings, not because you care whether she's a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, but rather whether the stuff that she is saying online is so out there, is so, uh, again, I don't want to know if you want to say nutty, but again, she's such an activist, whether this would call into question her ability to take information and handle it correctly. And obviously, Obviously, in this case, she didn't, because as soon as she'd only worked for this company for less than three months, pretty much it seems to me as soon as she got access to any sort of classified information that she thought might embarrass the Trump administration, boom, you know, she sends it off to the news media. So it's been interesting over the last 24, 48 hours to follow this. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to view her, you know, as a hero. Uh, look, she, she's she's this watchdog. She's disclosing all sorts of, of information. Well, all right, no, she's she's not a hero. She is a criminal. And I, for one, don't want people deciding, you know, I don't want some 26-year-old Trump hater making the decision as to what government classified information should be shared with the media and what shouldn't. And that's happening way, 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 way too often. And that's why people like Reality Winner need to be prosecuted, you know, when they do this. And it's why this whole story, I think, should be at least, again, an object lesson for what what you have to, what your background, what sort of background checks there need to be before somebody gets a security clearance. Because at the very least, like I say, I'm not saying that she should be disqualified from a job at a defense contractor simply because she's got all these whacked out sort of postings on, on the Internet. But I am saying it would at least be the basis for a little bit of a follow-up investigation to determine whether she was, as we now know she wasn't able to do, separate her political hatred for the U.S. government currently from her job. Just just saying. So no sympathy for me from reality winner. She is not a victim. She's not a martyr. She is a criminal. Um all right, I, I've been I've been trying to think about how I want to talk about the, this next issue. I have I have many many friends, people who I've known for decades, who serve in the state legislature, both in the state senate, both and and in the assembly. And of course, it's no secret. I mean, I've known Governor Walker for for going on actually more than twenty years now. There is a budget impasse in Madison. Um, what happens is the governor submits a budget. The legislature, you've got the Assembly and you've got the Senate. Their joint finance committee gets together and they they craft a budget. They use the governor's budget as a starting point. Now, the governor ultimately has final say over whatever comes out because he's got the veto power. Um, But, you know, the the joint finance committee meets and, and using the governor's proposals as a framework comes up with, you know, what ultimately the budget would be. 
in many t- many cases, the budget fight gets really nasty because you'll have Democrats that control either the state senate or the state assembly, and Republicans that control the other. And so you've got this divide, and it just becomes a, a brutal fight because what the Democrats want in the budget is completely different than what the Republicans want in the budget. Right? That, and so that's not uncommon. What is going on now in Madison is unusual because you have Republicans that have a working majority in the state senate and have overwhelming control of the state assembly. And you've got a Republican governor. So everybody should be on board. Well, there, there's a budget impasse that is going on in Madison. And, and here's what's happening. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, I'll tell you what's happening. And then I'll tell you what needs to happen. Like yesterday. It's 11.15. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.18, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So you might say, well, wait, you've got a Republican governor. You've got an overwhelming Republican majority in the state assembly. You've got a working majority in the state senate. Um, Most of these people have worked together for years. Um, They went through the fires with the whole Act 10 debate. Some of them have survived recalls. Um, everybody, I think, is united behind wanting to see Governor Walker succeed. So why the heck can't you get a budget? And if you ask that question, it would be a very, very good question to ask. Matter of fact, a lot of us are asking this this question. It gets even more complicated because it's not like the Senate and the Assembly are lined up against the governor. What's happening is the state Senate... And the Republicans on the Joint Finance Committee are essentially saying, we're with Governor Walker on, on his budget. We, we like the sort of things he's going to do. We're not going to raise the gas tax. Um, we, we want to deliver property tax relief. We want property tax values to be no higher than 2014. We like the idea that his transportation funding program, yes, we found all this money in the general fund, and we're going to put it towards that. Um, yeah, we, we is it perfect? Well, no document is perfect. But, yes, we, we want to do that. So the state Senate is on board with the governor. And then you have the state assembly, which for reasons that pass understanding, has decided that they're going to buck their colleagues in the state Senate and they're going to buck the governor. And, by the way, this is not the entire Republican Assembly Caucus, but this is leadership. And they've come up with a couple – what I'm going to describe is sort of Rube Goldberg schemes. You know, Rube Goldberg was the designer that you have the mouse trap and you had the steel ball going through and all these different types of things. And, and the, the different things are, for example, when it comes to roads, and there are some, particularly some in leadership, who want higher office and that they, they're trying to curry favor with some of the big special interests, the road builders, and so they're looking at increasing taxes. Yes, let's, let's raise the gasoline tax, or let's lower the gasoline tax by a couple cents, but then let's make it subject to the state sales tax. And they're looking at raising taxes. And, of course, Republicans did not get sent to Madison to raise taxes. It is a political, you know, politically, it is just incredibly dumb. And yet they are pursuing it. And then there's this education funding plan, which I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, well, you know, there are some school districts who have been frugal over the years. They haven't. 
they haven't you know raised the amount of money that they're hitting people up for and what we should do is we should give them more freedom to generate more money and what we've been doing is we've been essentially punishing districts that have been frugal and, and there's there's i understand I understand that that's kind of the basis, but in order to do that, what they have to do is they have to um, essentially raise property taxes over the 2014 level, which, as the governor has already said, is a complete and total non-starter, and also they end up, well, not necessarily putting as much money into the classroom as the Walker proposal was talking about. Now, on, on its own, I, I don't know. You, you could look at some of these plans that these people are floating in the assembly, and you could say, okay, I understand why they're trying to do that, or I understand why they're trying to do that. But you don't have the support of the governor. You don't have the support of the state senate. And when it comes to some of these things, I know you don't have the support of at least a certain segment of your own caucus. And so now what's going on, if you want to talk about dysfunctional, the you know the state senate is saying, hey, Look, the, the Senators and Joint Finance Committee are saying, look, if if we can't get the Assembly to come along on this, what we're going to do is we're going to draft our own budget. It's going to be in line with most of the things the governor was asking for. Maybe we'll tweak some things. We'll pass it, and then we'll send it over to the Assembly and see what they end up doing with it. It should not come to that. In this particular situation, and again, I, I understand maybe in a different world some of the things that the State Assembly leaders are looking at, but in 2017, given the need to get a budget, given some of the economic things that are there, and given the fact that you've got an election year coming up next year, to hold the budget hostage while you try to advance a couple of these plans, which more than anything else are designed to appease certain special interest groups, is political suicide. And it is amazing to me that some of the more responsible members of the state assembly are willing to walk over a cliff. And, again, this is one of these issues. The media is all over the Republicans. Democrats are all over the Republicans talking about you've got this dysfunction in Washington because you can't get anything done. Here in Wisconsin, where you have working Republican majorities, and you've got the assembly that has decided – for reasons that I think are as much political as policy, that they're going to decide to try to buck the governor on these things. Maybe maybe this is one where, you know, you can tweak what Walker is doing, but you got to deliver on the major things, which are no increases in the gas tax, period. No raising the property tax above 2014 levels, and... Go along with your colleagues in the state Senate. I I don't know what's going to happen, but every day that goes by and every new Rube Goldberg scheme that comes out of the assembly makes it more difficult to get a budget done on time. And I think people should be contacting their state representatives and saying, get this done politically. um, It's important. It's also important as a matter of policy and candidly. This is another one of those situations that Republicans find themselves in too often where they start essentially creating a circular firing squad. And in this case, it's the assembly leadership that is arming everybody. Just saying. It's 1125. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1127. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, there's a cause for everything. Journal Sentinel reporting on the latest one that's caught my attention, drinkinthesseats.org. I will tell you about it, and 
and we will discuss. It's aimed, it's a group that's aimed at trying to change consumer behavior at sporting events throughout southeastern Wisconsin, particularly Miller Park. And it's, it's kind of got an interesting interesting sort of premise, and it ties in on ties into something we were talking about the other day. But it's called Drink in the Seats, and it's a website.org. Tell you all about it in just a couple minutes. Uh, the Bill Cros- Cosby trial, day two. Um, interestingly, okay, Bill Cosby is on trial. The allegations are, in a nutshell, that he would drug various women who came to his house, then have sex with them. Um, there are I mean, the, the public reports are that there are dozens of women who said this happened. He's on trial right now for one incident that allegedly occurred back in 2004, I believe, 2004. And the judge allowed them to introduce evidence of one of the other acts, one other w- woman. She's been testifying Um in some cases, she makes a compelling witness. On the other hand, her story is all over the map as far as dates, and there's all sorts of inconsistencies, as is the principal accuser. Um, I don't know what happened between this woman and Bill Cosby. I don't think Bill Cosby denies that there was a sexual relationship, but he says that it was consensual. The woman's testimony, again, her, her stories are inconsistent. Um, it happened a long time ago. I've said this before. I, I just, having followed this case, I don't know what happened between the two of them. I, I do know, though, that I think it's going to be a very difficult prosecution to go back and try to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the standard that, that Bill Cosby um, sexually assaulted the woman. I, I just, I, I just, I don't think. I think it's going to be very, very hard. And I, I say that without taking any position on whether or not Bill Cosby is actually the, the rapist or the serial rapist that people would make him out to be. Um, I, I take no position on, on that one way or the other. I, I do know that I think it's going to be a difficult prosecution, again, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But whether or not the prosecution is able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty of sexual assault, the one thing that is emerging is that this image uh, of Bill Cosby as being this wonderful family guy, uh, just like when we had this image of Tiger Woods as being this wonderful family guy, um, it, it was just a complete and total fiction, a, a creation of... Um, I don't know, studio public relations people or, you know, uh, in this case, Bill Cosby or Tiger Woods, very, very good at marketing. Because whether or not Bill Cosby is actually guilty of committing crimes, there's no question. This guy was a grade A sleazebag, and he was a grade A sleazebag for decades. I mean, you know, he's married. The idea that... um I mean, his defense is is not that we didn't have... I didn't have sex with all these women. It's I didn't drug them and force them to do this. Okay, um, whether or not that's a legal defense or not, that's fine. It does speak a lot to your character, or in this case, lack of character. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tonight is Brewers, Giants, and Game 3 of the series. Bob and Jeff are on the air at 6.35 here on WTMJ, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Yeah, another... Uh, uh, a good win for the Brewers. Man, and you, you just look at some of the games they've just let get away in, in late innings or inability to close games or something, and you wonder, gee, you know, it, it's got to be at least four or five games. Um, I, I was seeing what the, the paper was reporting that 
The, the Brewers relievers have lost like 17 games, which is like the highest in the National League and the uh, highest in the, the in baseball by far. And you just kind of wonder if they were able to figure out how to win some of these close games, where they would really be. But again, they're three games, I believe, over 500, and they're in a good place. And you'd like to see them continue to be competitive. And uh, the next game is against the San Francisco Giants tonight. All right, speaking of speaking of Miller Park, there's an interesting story that that's in the paper. Um I, I and I have to I have to kind of be careful with what I'm going to say here. Um, I love going to ball games and I love the Miller Park experience. I think that they've done a great job of of making it a fan friendly environment. I think um, you know they've done things that there's there's activities. I mean I know people for example who don't necessarily even like baseball but will go with their kids or their grandkids because there's so many other there's lots of other stuff to do. You know it's it's a fun experience and i also appreciate that if you go to a ball game nobody holds a gun to your head and says hey you have to buy hot dogs you have to buy sodas or you have to buy beer or whatever i mean that's a decision that you kind of that you you make i think the brewers in some respects do a very very good job of keeping costs under control ticket costs and the costs of of some items I think there's others that they don't do as good a job on. And I, I, I mean, I've said this before. I, I freely admit I am a beer snob, okay? I, I like I like good beers. And I, I love Wisconsin craft beers. So I was really excited when I saw that they put in that this new Wisconsin craft beer stand down like the right field, right field line. I mean, I, I was really excited. I thought, oh, that, that's great because it's not that I have anything. I have no issues with, like, Miller or Genuine Draft or Budweiser or Bud Light or Miller or not Budweiser. You're not going to find that there. But a Miller Light or Coors Light or whatever. I have no issues with that. that that's fine beer. But I kind of like, you know, I, I sort of like craft beers. Well, my my reaction was kind of tempered the last time I was at a ball game. And I went up to the craft beer stand, and I saw that they were they were charging – in most cases, $12 for a glass of beer, sometimes 10 sometimes 14 And I remember thinking, I understand that there's a premium when you come to the ball games and stuff, but even though I guess I'm at the point in my life where I can afford to pay $12 for a, a beer, I, I feel I think they're price gouging. I, I think it's, with all due respect, I think it's ridiculous that they're charging that much money for these beers, but that's fine. They get to charge them, and I get to decide. I'm not gonna. I, I'll. I mean, that that's great. I like my Lakefront IPA just as well, but I won't drink it at Miller Park because just on principle, I refuse to pay twelve dollars for the the beer. Um, and I also appreciate that there is again, there's a markup. Um, if you if you're buying beer from the the vendors and the stands, and I always my preference is to try to buy stuff from the vendors, and it just. It just is because I, I like to patronize the people that are out there, you know, carrying the stuff around. And the only reasons I, I didn't or don't from time to time, it's because the choices that you have as far as beer are a little bit more more limited. But I'm not paying 12 or $14 for a glass of beer. I'm just not, even though I can afford it on principle. I'm not making this, you know, if, if I buy my buddy a beer, you're looking at $24 plus you leave the bartender a tip. I'm just, that's 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 crazy. And that's fine. Nobody's forcing me to do it, so I, I make that decision. Well, anyhow, there's a uh, guy who's a beer vendor at Miller Park, and he's taken out a couple billboards. The Journal Sentinel has this story 
Um, he's taken out a couple billboards um, around the area that just say drinkintheseats.org. The, the billboards the billboards don't explain what drinkintheseats.org is. But if you go to drinkintheseats.org, like I am now, here's what it says. The purpose of this group, the mission, is to advocate that con- to advocate consumers it's not the most grammatically correct thing to advocate consumers the importance of purchasing their alcoholic beverages from in-seat vendors while attending sporting events at their favorite stadiums most notably the one in southeastern wisconsin the one with that one with the roof we'll elaborate further soon and announce many more missions so that's the idea to try to encourage people to patronize the instead of going to the concessions and the concourse and all to actually try to patronize the vendors, the people that bring it around. All right, I thought this kind of raised a couple interesting points. Obviously, as a consumer, you have your choice. That the goal of this, if you read the interview, the guy who's responsible for this is saying, you know, he, he doesn't think they should be selling beer at the concourses. You know, he thinks that you should have to buy from the vendors. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All things being equal, I mean, I I choose to buy from the vendors. I I just, I I do, because, again, these are people... I, I think there's, there's some commissions involved. They're working hard. They're carrying the beer. I like to I like to talk to the guys. I like to do that. All things being equal, I will patronize. You know, hey, beer man, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Now, sometimes it's not equal. Like I say, there's a beer. There's a wider variety if you go to some of the bars, even though I'm drawing the line. I'm not paying $12 for you know a, a craft beer or $14. But, I mean, here here's my question. Um, what do you think about this movement? And, and all things being equal, you know, should you be – should you be buying beer from the vendors? 414-799-1620. Now, if the idea is to not give consumers the option, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, you know, people should have the choices. And when it comes to things like beer, like I say, sometimes you're going to want choices that are different from the, the types of beer that the vendors are carrying. And so, you know, you're going to go somewhere else. What do you think about this? Let's start with Charlie in Milwaukee. Charlie, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I am a beer vendor at Miller Park. Mm-hmm. This is a one-person show. <laughs> he has no backing from the union. And if they want, they can say no more vending, and they can get rid of all of us. Um, no guarantee we'll keep our job. And he also says they shouldn't be charging more. People pay more for us because it's a service we provide. Yeah, you bring the right you right per ounce. You know, you you bring the you, you bring the beer out and you you interact with people and all that. Um, how does it work? You, you guys, do you guys work on commission. That's my understanding. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, you have you have an incentive to as a, I would imagine the people who work behind the concession stands. They're just hourly, right? Is that how it works? I would. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, but I don't think. But you guys, you guys are on commission. So you, the more beer you sell, um, the the better off you're going to do at the end of the night. Yes. Um, do you? If if I'm sitting in the stands and you know you you see me sitting there and I'm drinking some beer that I bought at the conf- concession stand, do you do you resent that or do you just figure, hey, this is you know it's, he's just made his choice? Nope, don't resent it. Yeah, it's it's just it. Um, how are sales this year? Good. Okay, fair enough. All right, fair enough. Thanks for the call. I just, um, I get, yeah. I mean, this is kind of like, 
again, it's it's a free market, and I thought it was interesting that you know people would get worked up or bent out of shape about the, the different choices. See, I, I think one of the great things about Miller Park is that they do offer all sorts of different choices. I think the Brewers have done an excellent job about saying, okay, you you come out to the ball game, you know, maybe 15 years ago, your choices, if you wanted food, it was essentially like hot dogs and brats and, you know, maybe an occasional burger. And I've had nothing wrong with hot dogs and brats and an occasional burger. But also, I think the experience of, you know, again, giving people the different choices and we've got specialty burgers and we've got, you know, tacos or we've got, you know, the ribs or we've got whatever. I think that that's tremendous. And that's what you have to do to get people to come out to the, the stadium. And, and I think they've done an outstanding job of that. And I think they've done an outstanding job of, again, broadening the choices that people have so you can decide what you're going to patronize. And um, again, all things being equal, I'd like if I'm buying peanuts or something, I'm going to buy them from the vendor in the stand. That's what I'm going to do. All things being equal, I'm going to buy the beer from a vendor in the stand as a general rule. Um, but but I like having the option otherwise. And I, I suspect they're doing pretty well when it comes to uh, the beer sales. They say that they're doing well with the craft beer sales, which is it's fine, just not me anymore. I can't. I should just get over that. I mean, it, I understand it's only. I mean, nobody's holding a gun to your head and saying you have to pay twelve dollars for a glass of beer. And I appreciate that there's a necessary markup, but really, all right. It is eleven forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's eleven forty-nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Several people are texting us saying that at Miller Park. Um, some of the concession stands um, are run by like groups that, that volunteer to do it, kind of like they do at the Bradley Center. Others, I think, are run by like the for-profit types of things, so it all kind of varies. But bottom line is, uh, decide from yourself what your price point is and go out and enjoy yourself to uh, enjoy yourself at uh, Miller Park. And I, I, I do as well. I'm going to. Matter of fact, I'm. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go out there tonight. I was thinking about that, but definitely uh, when they come back, they, I'm going to that Monday night game. Looking forward to that. Hey, if you want uh, the opportunity for a potential bargain, I just did want to mention this. Twice a year, Southwest Airlines, I, actually, I like Southwest. I admit it took me a little bit of getting used to to understand the idea that you're not going to have a reserved seat, that you're going to kind of get in line and pick your seats. But actually, they work it pretty well. Um, Southwest is having their, their twice-a-year sale and what they do is they have that these these are limited but they've got a lot of uh just a lot of flights um at, at really low prices a lot of you know one-way flights uh below 100 dollars for 49 bucks you can fly again one way kansas city cleveland nashville minneapolis 70 bucks you can go from milwaukee to new york or boston um, $79 to Fort Lauderdale, $99 to Orlando and Tampa. Um, the travel, the, the sale launched yesterday. It ends um, when the seats are gone, but it also ends um, Thursday, I, I think, at 11.59. Um, travel is good from August 22nd through December 13th. So I was actually talking to one of my colleagues this morning. I said, what are you going to be doing today? I said, I'm going to be checking out the different flights on Southwest. If you're looking for a bargain, this is one of the ways to do it. And again, um, they say that they might be a little bit more limited than the past, and you know these flights tend to fill up. So, if you do have a plan and it's somewhere that uh, Southwest flies, especially on the direct flights, you might want to spend some time kind of surfing the internet. All right, tomorrow we will be following and monitoring the James Comey testimony. That's going to be the big story. We talked about this earlier in the program. Um, a lot of the 
advisors of President Trump are, are trying to distract him. <laughs> they, they, they don't want him watching and getting progressively more upset, depending on what Comey says. Um, there are There is some speculation, though, that, uh, Lord help us, the President of the United States might be just kind of live tweeting, responding to the things that the former FBI director says for everybody's sake. I, I hope he's able to resist doing that. You do get an idea, though, that there is more than a little bit of an element of dysfunction going on in the Trump administration. Uh, Jeff Sessions, who is the former senator from Alabama, who is now the attorney general and was was very, very controversial. If you will remember, um, he was one of Trump's earliest supporters. He, he was a guy that was on board the Trump campaign almost from the beginning. And quite frankly, he was on board before most politicians in the Republican Party were. So he was one of the earliest supporters. He was controversial when he was nominated to be the Attorney General. There's people that went back, you know, twenty some years, thirty years, you know, when he was a US the US attorney in Alabama and suggested that he had some racist tendencies. Um, there were concerns that he was going to be um, too much in Donald Trump's pocket, all those different types of things. There now appears to be in all these stories a, a rift. It, it's very clear that President Trump demands absolute loyalty from his employees. At the same time, it's fine perhaps when you're the CEO of a company to demand that. When you're the President of the United States, the people that work for you, even your appointees, it's fair to ask them to be loyal to you, but they also have an overriding duty to support the Constitution of the United States. And uh, the reports in the New York Times are that the Attorney General um, offered to resign in recent weeks after you know he was seeing these reports or apparently hearing that the president was losing confidence in him and the president was upset that he had done various things. For example, he, he recused himself from any Russia-related investigations, and President Trump was apparently unhappy with that decision because he thought it, it prolonged this Russia investigation, etc. He blamed Mr. Sessions for the fallout from the order of the president's travel ban that the court has blocked. And apparently these guys that were once very close, it's now extremely tense. And the attorney general is saying to the president, look, um, you know, I, I need to be free to do my job, and, and I can't have you trying to do your job and my job. And if you don't like the way I'm doing my job, just let me know, and I will, in fact, resign. That's the last thing that the President of the United States needs. But kind of with the Comey testimony tomorrow, I think President Trump would be very, very well served if he went to the movies or he went and did something other than watching the testimony because it's the micromanaging and it's the need to respond in a minute-by-minute basis that I think has caused him a lot of the problems that he's had over the years. So uh, my advice is just get off Jeff Sessions' back as the Attorney General, get off the back of a lot of your aides, and for goodness sakes, uh, again, find something to do tomorrow when Comey is testifying Just let it go.